right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Very first episode of the Mosh Talk podcast. My name is Carl. I'm your host. Welcome on board to the maiden voyage of this adventure. Um, we're going to f- play this one as it goes, see how it goes. I have some things that I wanted to talk about, obviously, related to the um, metalcore and post-hardcore and hardcore, deathcore, whatever, uh, scenes that I wanted to talk about today. Some big news this week, some reviews of albums that came out last week, and some stuff that's a little more recent as of this week. But before I do that, I wanted to talk about kind of the goals, the mission statement, the kind of... Um, big picture of this entire ordeal. So obviously, you know, I want to give a big shout out to the State of the Scene podcast. They inspired me to want to do something like this. And I think Sam and Marcos do a great job of hosting that show and bringing a lot of personality. And I thought, you know, I'd love to try to do something similar and talk about hardcore and metalcore and stuff like that, but also put my own spin on it so it doesn't feel like I'm just ripping them off. So each week I'm going to try to record a podcast, talk about the news in the scene, talk about new tours, new album announcements, new um, rumors and whatnot about tours and albums and members leaving and joining and all that fun stuff. I'm going to sprinkle in some reviews of albums that have come out recently. Uh, I love reviewing music. I've tried to maintain a music review blog, uh, but it was tough as, you know, I was a student and now that I'm not a student anymore, I have a lot more free time. But I thought this would be a fun way to go hand in hand with some music reviews either uh, recorded for YouTube, which is most likely what's going to happen, the reviews for this show will be um, taken from YouTube videos that I record reviewing those albums, as well as possible posts on some type of blogging website. Uh, haven't picked one yet. I was previously using Tumblr, but we'll see how long that website has. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to do a fun little thing where I talk about music that I'm really passionate about and get some uh, get some thoughts out there, my thoughts, your thoughts. You know, this is going to be a big project for me, big undertaking, but hopefully turns out to be a fruitful one. So to kick off this very first show, now that we have all the business end of things out of the way, uh, the first thing that is on my agenda here, the big news that came out earlier this week, yesterday actually, uh, as I lay dying, announcing their brief three-week U.S. tour um, starting March 15th in St. Louis and running all the way until April 6th in Springfield. This is As I Lay Dying's first, um, I think this is their first full headline tour since coming back. I think they played just a one-off show at the end of last year after they released uh, that new song, uh, which I think was called My Own Grave. And I really enjoyed that song. I was a big As I Lay Dying fan growing up, but obviously the news with Tim uh, trying to have his wife murdered and him going to prison for that, uh, kind of derailed their career. The remaining members went to form Woven War, which was another band that I was kind of into, but not really as much as As I Lay Dying, I think. As I Lay Dying coming back is a big thing. Um, news-wise, it's probably the biggest piece of metalcore news ever, just the whole Tim Lambesis saga and him coming back. It's one of the biggest metalcore headlines ever. So this big U.S. tour for them, which is three weeks, playing a lot of big markets, 
Um, they're going to St. Louis. They're going to Detroit. They're not hitting Philadelphia, which is my closest city, but they are coming to Baltimore, so I might try to catch them there. This is a big deal. This is a really big thing. And uh, the talking point that I wanted to weave in here, which obviously has pretty much been talked to death, um, but I wanted to kind of touch on Tim's return to the music scene and touring and doing this full time because of what happened with him. And obviously every single take has been done uh, with Tim coming back. Is he welcome? Is he not welcome? But I just wanted to throw in my two cents. Now, uh, I will say this as someone who is a little more on the uh, leftist side of things politically, I tend to be sort of unforgiving with musicians that are convicted or I guess convicted in the court of public opinion of being bad people. I'm very unforgiving towards people like Johnny Craig and like uh, Jake McElfresh from Front Porch Step, I think that's his name, um, Ronnie Radke, people like that that once I've decided that they're bad people, I tend to be unforgiving. However, I will say that I do think most musicians who are quote-unquote bad people, that's very subjective. Now, I think it's an objectively, morally inconscionable thing to try to have your wife murdered by a hitman. Now, there there doesn't need to be any equivocating on that. We've all agreed that what Tim did was bad. Uh, we, meaning like the metalcore council, all the fans have agreed that what Tim did was wrong, but where we're split and where people are split is, is he welcome back? And like I said, I tend to be sort of unforgiving about these things. Um, I don't like to support Johnny Craig. I don't like to support Jesse Lacey, even though he's been making amends. He's been trying, at least, to you know make amends for what he did. He owned up to what he did. And it leaves me in a tough position because I enjoy As I Lay Dying's music. But I think Tim still has some work to do to repair his public image. And I think the first thing that he can do, which he, you know, did already, was make a statement about, you know, why he um, feels like it's time for him to come back. He released a statement, I think, late last year where he talked about the impact, or rather it was that, that video that As I Lay Dying released where they were all kind of talking about the impact that Tim's arrest had on them. And the way that I see it is... If he made amends with his bandmates and they accepted his apology and they forgave him, I think that's probably where the um, that's probably where the blame should end. As far as as far as blaming Tim for trying to come back, I think if his bandmates and we we forget oftentimes that the people most affected by these things are those on the outside. You know, we see like with Lost Prophets when Ian Watkins uh, was arrested rightfully for the horrible things that he did, the remaining members of Lost Prophets were like, you know, they were kind of screwed. They didn't really have anything to go off of. You know, they, they started that band um, No Devotion, I think their name was, with Jeff from Thursday, and their record was pretty good. But it wasn't the same, you know, the, the band members are left reeling from the actions of one, and I think that's where it gets sticky, because 
is it right to convict the members of As I Lay Dying for accepting Tim when they know him better than most people do and they've worked with him and since he got out of prison, they've worked with him. Um, my thoughts through this whole winding kind of babbling, I personally, I already said that I would try to go to the Baltimore show. I think I, I personally don't, I don't owe Tim forgiveness but he doesn't need my forgiveness. He doesn't need me to personally forgive him. I think he needs to make amends the way that he feels it necessary. And I think if his bandmates have forgiven him enough to go back on tour with him, that's a big first step. And I think part of the healing process ought to be to have Tim go back to doing what he does for a living. And I don't think anyone deserves to have their career ended because of, you know, a conviction, at least one that they're willing to make amends for and they're willing to own up for. So that's where I am on this. I'm a little bit conflicted. I feel like the band will always have that stigma attached to them. And I think if they're willing to push through that, then that's their prerogative. I personally, you know, I don't feel like whatever, however I land in the argument doesn't really change the band moving forward. Now you can choose to support them or not, and that's up to you. And a lot of people are going to choose to support them and some are going to choose not to. But at the end of the day, what I feel is important is that Tim and the members of As I Lay Dying make their peace with each other and with what Tim did and just try to move forward because they're all adults. Obviously, they don't need to go through some lame gossip. So I think this tour is a good indicator that they're all making their amends with one another. I'm interested in seeing how this tour sells. Obviously, it doesn't kick off for another month and a half, but it is pretty cool uh, objectively to see Tim and As I Lay Dying getting back on tour after such a long absence when a lot of people thought that their career was over. So that's the big news uh, this week, the As I Lay Dying tour. It's, it's tough to know for sure what the response will be when they finally get back on stage, but it is a pretty big first step. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Moving on from there, the next big news this week in terms of tours was this rumored and subsequently confirmed tour featuring Knocked Loose headlining, the Acacia Strain and Harm's Way as direct support, and Sanction and Higher Power as openers. This is a huge tour, and it's not, what's really interesting to me is that it's not an A market tour. Now, I know a lot of these bands just got off of A market tours, and if you don't know what an A market tour is, that's pretty much all the major cities, you know, Philadelphia, Detroit, Los Angeles. Big shows like that in the major cities that are going to draw the most people. This is more like a B and C market tour, which is interesting to see because a lot of these bands are huge drawers. And this is a huge uh, heavyweight tour. Knocked Loose headlining is huge above the Acacia Strain. So it kicks off April 4th in Springfield, Missouri, which is right around the time that As I Lay Dying tour ends. So Springfield in April is going to be the place to be. Um... Springfield, Missouri, and it ends uh, May 8th in St. Louis, which is actually how the As I Lay Dying tour starts. It, it starts and ends on opposite dates, just at different times of the year. Now, the big thing for me, 
personally is that this tour, April 12th, is rolling through Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Chameleon Club. That is my local venue. That is freaking awesome for me because I had absolutely no clue, not only that this tour was going to happen, but that it was going to roll through Lancaster. It's very rare that tours this big will come through Lancaster. You know, we get um, August Burns Red obviously is from here, so they play here a lot. The last big tour that I went to that came through the Chameleon Club uh, was Dance Gavin Dance when they came last year. There have been some tours and some big artists that have come through since then, but that just gives you an idea for how rarely big bands come through. And that Dance Gavin Dance tour was their co-headliner with Chan, and that was a huge tour when I found out it was coming through here. So this is more of a B and C market tour. It's hitting some major cities, some major metropolitan areas, but this is a pretty big tour. And as I mentioned, uh, obviously with Knocked Loose headlining, that's huge. They are reportedly in the studio right now recording their second full-length album, the follow-up to 2016's Laugh Tracks. A lot of people were expecting them to have an album out last year, especially summer last year, uh, but ultimately nothing materialized of that. They were playing a new song on tours last year, but nothing really out of the Knocked Loose camp in terms of recorded new music, and now we know that they are recording with Will Putney in New Jersey, so that's pretty cool. Will Putney has done a lot of great stuff with some heavier bands. He's done the last two Silent Planet records. He obviously plays guitar in Fit for an Autopsy. He did the End EP that came out last year, or the year before, rather, um, so Will Putney has done some great stuff, and I'm really interested in hearing how he uh, engineers the new Knocked Loose record. So this is a big tour for not just the bands and the package in terms of how the bands are ranked, like Knocked Loose headlining and the Acacia Strain uh, supporting as direct support. This is a big tour for Knocked Loose just because of their kind of meteoric rise and the meteor the meteoric rise of their style of music the past couple years you know i remember uh, obviously i'm from the philadelphia suburbs so i remember bands like varials and jesus peace and knocked loose and kublai khan playing you know local shows local venues you know they would bring tour packages through philadelphia but they were mostly playing to to um, niche crowds to people that were there just to see them and now Knocked Loose is headlining their own tour after doing some support and it's been really cool to see them grow so heavily and see bands like Kublai Khan and bands like Varials that I've seen you know headlining their own local shows in tiny venues now headlining and direct supporting and supporting bigger tours and Varials is uh, in the studio I just wanted to quietly sneak that one in because that's also some news that I didn't want to dedicate a lot of time to, but Varials is back in the studio, I believe, in uh, Michigan with Josh Schroeder, who did their last LP, and that's really cool because I loved Pain Again, and I'm excited to hear what they do next. So this Knocked Loose tour with the Acacia Strain, Harm's Way, Sanction, and Higher Power, lots of great bands on that lineup. Um, every single band on that Bill is amazing. I haven't heard much from Higher Power, but from what I've heard, it's been great. Sanction, kind of 
had their own little run at the end of last year where a lot of people were stoked about them. They were playing some big tours. And so this is a pretty big tour. Uh, it runs for over a month. So if it comes to your city, try to get out there. Tickets will be relatively cheap. I think for the Lancaster show, it was uh, $20 for advanced tickets. So to see five great bands for $20, you're not going to get much of a uh, better deal than that, so try to catch Knocked Loose on their upcoming headlining tour. Uh, that is the second big piece of new tour news that has come out this week and yesterday, actually. Uh, the next piece of news that was pretty big, actually, this week, and of course it's all big news, that's why I'm talking about it, but this, um, I guess, I guess it's confirmed, but the Ghost Inside is recording new music. I mean, I don't want to say it's confirmed, but uh, this this Twitter screenshot that I'm looking at here on MetalInjection.net, a fan on Twitter asked, how's your recovery going? Any chance you'll be back to making music? We miss you guys. Feel better. Um, and they just responded with a picture of what looks like them in a studio recording music. And it looks like... There's a couple members there. It looks like Andrew, their drummer, is there. Um, Vigil is in the picture, Jonathan Vigil. And I guess that's either Jim Riley, their bassist, or Zach, uh, their guitarist. But looks like The Ghost Inside is back to recording new music. Obviously, they've been really um, slow to get back into band mode, obviously, since their accident in late 2015. And they've been you know, practicing intermittently in April. They had this um, announcement where they said that they held their first band practice since the accident and they were booked for Warp Tour. And uh, this past year and the year before, they were announced as a band that would be on it, but they weren't ready to come back. So it does look like, oh, actually, yeah, it is in the Metal Injection article. Yeah, Jonathan Vigil, uh, Andrew, their drummer, and Jim Riley, their bass player, are all in the studio there. I'm just reading this as I kind of talk, so I'm going to be interrupting myself. But they've been kind of slow to recover, and it's been a huge... Uh, there's been obviously two sides of the coin here. It's been great to see that they're all in high spirits and they're all doing well and they're all getting back to normalcy with the band. But it's also been very sad to see how long and how far reaching the effects of the accident have been. Um, members, you know, had to go through extensive surgeries. You know, um, I think their guitar player had to get a couple toes amputated. Andrew, their drummer, had to get part of his leg amputated. And it it's been such a long road back. Uh, these three years and change since the accident and it's been obviously we're all rooting for them I think if you weren't a Ghost Inside fan before and even if you're still not you're still rooting for them to come back and go back to doing what they love and get back on the road hopefully someday you know when they're ready obviously there's a lot of physical and mental stuff that goes along with that but wishing the best to the ghost inside it seems like they're recording new music i know vigil played that little snippet of a song that they were working on before the accident a couple weeks ago don't know if that's going to be part of this new music we don't know when we'll hear new music from the ghost inside but it is encouraging at least to see that they're together they're recording new music they're writing um whatever it may be whenever it sees the light of day, it'll be really cool to hear from the ghost inside again. 
Moving on from there, we have a bit of a, a late addition to my news segment here because this came out in between recording a bunch of different stuff for this podcast. This came out just this morning, the 24th. Uh, Johnny Craig, the vocalist of Slaves, formerly of Dance Gavin Dance and Amorosa, has been kicked out of the band, or uh, I guess Johnny said that he left the band but the statement came out this morning from Slaves. They wrote this uh, Facebook post where they said, To whom it may concern, it's with a heavy heart that we announce that Johnny Craig has been removed from the band Slaves. Uh, they go on to detail that he struggles with addiction and that everyone has struggles in their daily life, but that Johnny uh, seems to have a bit more of an issue with addiction, which of course is no secret. We've known about this for a couple of years now. In this statement, they say, uh, they go on to say, unfortunately, Johnny chose his addiction over the band and left them high and dry while checking in for their international flight while he boarded a plane back home. Now, um, I did see that Johnny Craig released a statement a short time ago, which was a screenshot of a note on his phone in which he said, the following, first, before I say anything, I just want everyone to know how much I love and appreciate all the support I have had through the years. Uh, he goes on to talk about how he didn't want to make a statement until the band made their statement and that uh, he seems to be encouraging people to go catch them on tour. He goes on to say that he relapsed and used... So uh, he's, he's saying that he's stepping down from slaves and that he's heading back to the States to go into rehab and uh, looks like he's going to try once again to address his addiction. We've seen this before. Uh, I'm not going to take such a, um, I'm not going to take such a, you know, forgiving approach with Johnny because, of course, we've seen this before. We've seen him hurt people and screw people over and um, hurt people. But, of course, you also have to think about that in the context that addiction is a horrible thing and it takes people sometimes years to get clean if they ever get clean. Um, of course, you know, I of course I want Johnny to get better. Of course I want Johnny to find peace and become a good person. But uh, knowing what we know about Johnny, we have to take this with a dose of skepticism and uh, take it with a grain of salt, I guess, is the best way to say it. Because, you know, he, he's vowed this before and we've seen some encouraging signs like he might be following through on that promise and yet he just turns around and does something terrible a month or so later. Will he be involved in another music project at a later date? Who knows? So uh, once again, Johnny Craig kicked out of the band Slaves as of this morning, January 24th. Uh, we'll see how that develops, but at this time, it looks like the band is continuing on their tour without him. So we don't know if there will be a new singer or if they're going to go instrumental. We'll find all that out at a later date. So that wraps it up for my news section of the show. It's time to get into the review section of the show. I have four reviews 
for this particular episode. First, we'll do two records that came out last Friday, which is the new records from The Fever 333 and the band Wrist Meat Razor. And then after that, we'll get into two new records that came out this week, Bring Me the Horizons, Ammo, and uh, The Drowned Gods, I'll Always Be the Same. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into those reviews right now. But before I start reviewing, I wanted to give a little bit of a glimpse into my reviewing techniques and just a kind of short introduction into um, how I review albums. So I've had, I, I've tried to review albums on a blog um, and I, I want to continue doing that, but I love reviewing music and for me, when I listen to an album, I'm listening for a variety of different things. First of all, you know, I'm listening for growth from that band. If I've heard their music before, am I hearing steps forward? Am I hearing progression? Am I hearing experimentation? Uh, or am I hearing just them kind of sticking to their guns and not really moving forward, kind of standing pat? And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's better to write a record that sounds similar to something else that you've done that executes well, as opposed to something not so great that misses the mark. I think there's such thing as too much experimentation. Sometimes it works to the detriment of the band rather than to the um, to the um, success of the record. So um, I do give ratings out of a 10 point scale and that was influenced by the needle drop. I just want that to be full disclosure. Um, Anthony Fantano has been a huge influence to me as a music reviewer so before everyone comes in and says that you know some of my speaking quips and some of my notes and some of the things that I say about music are similar or reminiscent of Anthony Fantano they are a little bit um and I would like to keep these reviews you know um, kind of short kind of concise but sometimes I'll have a little bit more to say about certain records uh, I do want to keep a blog or a YouTube channel um, running with reviews. So some of these reviews will be um, in line with the YouTube videos. Some of these reviews will be a little longer. Some of the YouTube videos will be a little longer. But, um, you know, if you're here from a YouTube video or if you're here on any podcast from a YouTube video or vice versa, if you go check out the YouTube videos from the podcast, I would really appreciate that. Um, but you'll pretty much be hearing the same things um, in both in both mediums. So without further ado, with just that kind of background info into what I'm listening for when I review a record, you know, um, instrumentation, vocals, lyrics, production, musicianship structure, all those kind of things rolled into one. Um, I want to get into the first reviews on the first episode of this podcast. So I'm going to kick it off with the new record from The Fever 333, which is called Strength in Numbers. And if you're unfamiliar with The Fever 333, um, this is the new band featuring members of Let Live, Night Versus, and The Chariot. It's Jason Butler from Let Live, Eric Comproda from Night Versus, and Steve Harrison from The Chariot. Three guys 
one band, very hype. They formed in 2017. They played this surprise show in Los Angeles. They like rolled up a truck in the parking lot of like a donut shop and played a show. Very high octane, very high energy, cool stuff. They signed to Roadrunner Records the following year with the release of their debut EP, Made in America, which I believe they are Grammy nominated for one of the songs on that EP, which is pretty interesting considering they're so, they're, they're a relatively young band. I mean, the members aren't really new or anything, but they um, are already Grammy nominated for the song, if I could find it. I believe, I believe it's, uh, let me just do a little research here. Um, but the, that EP came out in March. Yeah, they were nominated for Made in America, the title track from that EP, which is pretty cool. Um, objectively, I do have a little bit of... I have a little bit of concern just because that EP to me felt very rushed and kind of phoned in, and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, the tracks were pretty repetitive. The lyrics were pretty subdued. The musicianship just wasn't there. I was expecting a lot more from these three very talented musicians that I have a lot of respect for. But that EP came out in March of last year. Didn't really care for it, but I was still keen on hearing more from the band. They announced this debut full-length record, Strength in Numbers, came out last week through Roadrunner. So I had the chance to listen to it and kind of make some notes about it. And um, before, before I get into the actual album review... I think one thing that I have to preface this review by saying is that uh, Let Live was one of my favorite bands lyrically, instrumentally, vocally, and a lot of people have said that I need to kind of separate this band from Let Live because they're not the same band, they're not similar in terms of the message, Jason's writing from a different perspective lyrically here, and I get all that. But it's hard for me to listen to Jason's voice and to listen to this kind of um, up-tempo, punk-inspired... Go the Fever's going for more of like a Rage Against the Machine thing, but nevertheless, it still brings up that Let Live um, vibe for me. So it's hard for me to separate when listening. And I tried to as best I could, but... I think this record's biggest detriment is the fact that the musicianship just isn't quite there for an album featuring these three particular musicians. And I'm going to go track by track here, um, skipping a few here and there, but the record kicks off with this intro track, which is just called Dot Dot Dot, and it's very hype. You know, there's crowds chanting 333, um, Jason's vocals come in. It's kind of the mission statement of the band and of the record, and it's a very, it's a great intro. It's probably the best possible intro that they could have done for this record. I was very impressed by it. Um, and then it gets into these next couple songs, these next four songs to be exact, Burn It, Animal, Pray For Me, and One Of Us, and none of these tracks fully hit the mark for me. So what I was really looking for in these first couple tracks, which I, I heard a couple of these as singles, but I was looking for that energy that drew me into this band, that made me think of this band as its own kind of unique entity. And then I was also looking for them to move past those 
kind of lower notes from the EP, you know, the repetition in the choruses and the the lyrics kind of feeling a little dumbed down and um, just just the general song structures just feeling a little phoned in. And I didn't get that in these first couple tracks. Uh, the first track on the album, the first full track on the album, rather, Burn It, it's it's energetic, it's strong, it's it it's a good um, it's a good energy level to set the tone for the rest of the record. But in terms of the progression of the song and in terms of how the song develops from a musical standpoint and a lyrical standpoint, it just doesn't. It doesn't really achieve much for me. Um, you know, there there's there's just a very mediocre quality about this song. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. But for a first full song on the record, it just left me kind of wanting more. And then uh, the next song, Animal, has, you know, this rapping and the verses that I liked a lot because it was, it, it's just a different thing to hear. You know, they're going for a rap rock thing, like a Rage Against the Machine thing. And I like to hear that rapping mixed with the yelling, mixed with the screaming. Um, but the chorus for the song Animal is just very generic, very radio rock, boring, earwormy kind of thing that I wasn't really intrigued by. Most of the song actually didn't leave much of an impression on me until the end. There's this little guitar riff towards the end of the song. That was pretty cool, um, but, uh, you know, I, I just left this song feeling the same as the last song where I was, like, wanting more, waiting for something bigger to develop. Um, and then the, the next track, Pray For Me, comes on, and this is the first of three songs on this record that end with the slash three in the title, so it's Pray For Me slash three, and uh, those are the longer songs on the record. This one clocks in a little over five minutes, and as much as I, as much as I thought that this record or the, this track in particular was going to achieve something in that five minutes, it wasn't until the second half of the song, because there are two very distinct halves. There's this first half that's very bland, very boring. The chorus, in fact, um, reminded me a lot of something that would land on the last Atreyu record that came out last year. And just full disclosure, that Atreyu record was my least favorite album of last year, so I was really disappointed to hear that. Just this kind of generic, soaring... Um, uninspired chorus that just felt so below the style of this band or at least these musicians and yet there's this jarring transition in the second half of the song there's a cool hip-hop beat there's a cool um, breakdown and riff section and there's these two very distinct halves of the song and as much as I like the second half and dislike the first half I think it would have been better for the record as a whole to split these songs up and flesh the ideas out a little more or even just cut the first half of the song to be honest and flesh out the second half because the second half for me salvaged the song and as much as I like that part it still feels like it's not good enough to have a whole song kind of be salvaged by half of it as opposed to just having one bad song and one good song separate from one another so you know, I, I liked the second half, but it, it just, it feels like it it's more of a 
um, a risk gone awry that this band takes to have these two very distinct, very different halves of this song. Uh, the next track, One of Us, again, another song that leaves me without much of anything in the way of you know, a, a takeaway. So I wasn't really impressed with that song either. Another pretty generic chorus, another pretty generic um, radio rap rock type of thing. But moving into the second half of the track listing, starting with the track Inglewood slash three, this was the first track that I feel like the band accomplished something bigger, accomplished something more interesting that I was excited to listen to. And the storytelling, the lyricism on this track is very evocative, very emotional, and it did remind me a lot of something that would land on the final Let Live record, If I'm the Devil. There's this, you know, melodic aspect that's really cool. Jason's vocal delivery is strong. He's talking about growing up in Inglewood, California, and the challenges and the, um, kind of dangers of growing up and, and just his experience that was very cool to hear Jason get very personal and upfront with the listener again. It felt like I was listening to Let Live. This was the first track that really made an impression on me that I liked a lot. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect track. There's some flaws here and there. There's like a little rapping melody in like the fifth-ish minute that just didn't really make an impact on me. But overall, this was the first track that even at seven minutes, came close to scratching that itch for me that I was looking for. Um, and then the next track, The Innocent, just a another one that really didn't make an impact on me. So it was kind of sad to have this great track in Inglewood bookended by these two just subpar, uninspired, less than stellar tracks. Um, but The Innocent was the last song on the record that... that I didn't like. So these next three tracks, Out of Control slash three, Am I Here and Coup de Talk are all really great tracks that I think not only kept my attention throughout their entirety, but actually took that next step and actually achieved something bigger. And these tracks aren't so repetitive. They're not so bland. They're not so uninspired. You know, there's, there's strong melodies here in the track. Am I here? Jason is, um, dedicating the lyrics to his, uh, son that was born recently and giving this kind of very urgent, poignant, political message on all three of these tracks and on most of these tracks on the album. They're very powerful political anthems. And yet, what really gets me about that kind of dichotomy that they're trying to build between the poignant, topical, political lyrics and the radio rock boring delivery is that when you try to combine those two elements somewhere along the way, when you're trying to be a radio band that also has a topical message, you're, you have to sacrifice quality somewhere along the way because you can't be both. You know, Rage Against the Machine wasn't both. Um, even rappers with a powerful political message, you know, you look at like Kendrick Lamar, or you look at NWA in the, in the um, gangster rap era in the 80s and 90s of hip hop, you know, Either they weren't getting radio play or they were getting radio play and they were, it was kind of seen as like an outsider thing. Like they didn't belong on the radio, but they got there anyway. Um, and I feel that the fever kind of has to pick a path. Either they're going to be a radio band or they're going to be a political band. You know, you, you have to kind of 
dig your your heels into the sand and, and make your make your mark, dig your niche. Um, the final track on this album, Coup de Talk, I think was probably my favorite track on the entire album. A perfect closer, um, very hype, powerful, big song with lots of cool guitar riffs. The chorus actually works for me on this one. The dynamic between the melodies and the heavy parts with this really crunchy, in-your-face guitar tone. I was really enjoying that. Coup de Talk was the big one that I was waiting for, so I'm hoping that whatever this band does next is similar to Coup de Talk and songs like um, Out of Control and songs like Inglewood where there's the storytelling, but there's also the riffs and the heavy melodies mixed with the heavy... Um, musicianship in the verses, the guitar playing, the drums are all very prominent. So, uh, like like I said, you know, this record, big hits, big misses. Uh, the the middle ground I think here is that this record doesn't really achieve what it should have, and it doesn't really make the impact on me that it should have. And as much as I think that this record has replay value, I think part of that is because I'm willing to give it another chance because of the musicians involved. And I don't want to sound like I'm disliking the record without giving it more of a chance. But I think the biggest impact you can make is the initial impact. And this record's initial impact, just very... Um, very bland, very middle of the road. Um, I did give this record a very, very light 7 out of 10. I can see it growing on me. I can definitely imagine myself going back at a later date, sometime later in the year, and listening to it again and probably enjoying it a little more. But, you know, again, that really stems from this being Let Live and Night Versus and the Chariot members coming together and me wanting to like their material more than me wanting to like, you know, the Fevers record, if that makes sense. So those are my kind of not really concise thoughts on the new The Fever 333 album. I didn't dislike it. I didn't really like it. It was just kind of in the middle, a very meh record for me. Um, you know, towards the end of the year, I'll do a, a recap and a a re-review of any records that maybe grew on me or kind of whatever the opposite of grew on me is. So those were just my thoughts on the new The Fever record. Next, I want to get into a review of the new album from the band Wristmeat Razor. The album is called Misery Never Forgets. This one also came out last week. This was one that, um, or this band rather, showed up on my radar at the end of last year. I had some friends posting some stuff uh, there are singles from this record. I think the first song, it was either the first single or it was definitely the first song that I listened to, was the track Expiry Date 12 Hours. And what initially, the very first thing that drew me into this band, of course, was their name. Because it's this one word, like MySpace, Scramsy kind of thing. Wrist Meat Razor, that's very bold, that's very in your face. And what I found actually was kind of a similar reaction to when I heard uh, Vane's lead single from their LP, Arizona, last summer, Virus Vibrance, when that track came out. I was kind of familiar with Vane, but not enough that I, I was expecting anything in particular when I listened to Virus Vibrance, and that song blew me away. And I kind of had a similar reaction with this track from the new Wrist Meat Razor album. It was very 
bold, very in your face, very full of energy. You know, this this LP is nine songs, 20 minutes long. It's a very quick listen. It's a quick punch in the face. It will totally, totally kick your ass. So my my big thing about this record that I love a lot is that it fuses that kind of old school screamo, scrams, whatever you want to call it, type of you know, aggression with the, with like the fast instrumentals, the, the pounding drums, the, the ripping guitars, the throat shredding vocals with kind of an old school metallic hardcore metalcore kind of thing. And it, it kind of paves the way for those bands that are trying to fuse both and bring back the scrams type of sound. Because the, the cool thing about scrams for me is that this is a genre that a lot of people will say really only existed in its truest form from like the late 90s to the early 2000s. So you're looking at a relatively small window of time that this genre was, I don't want to say popular, but like where, where the screamo elitists will say the best bands came out of. And you're talking about bands like Seisha and Orchid and Page 99 and I wrote haikus about cannibalism in your yearbook where these bands were, were kind of considered the heavy hitters of that that underground movement of Screamo. And then for me, you know, there's there's been a lot of Scrams revival bands that came out kind of late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, the bands that I was listening to, these were the first bands that got me into Screamo, by the way. These, these newer bands, like Flowers Tape Depends, like the band Shizune, um, you know... Just these these newer bands, and of course, um, CU Space Cowboy. A couple of their members used to be in uh, Flowers Tape Depends, and if you haven't listened to CU Space Cowboy, they're kind of similar to Wrist Meat Razor, where they're fusing that screamo influence with like a more metalcore, a more modern take on the old school metallic hardcore. So those those bands are really cool and wrist me razor is in that similar vein where they're taking those old influences and kind of breathing fresh life into them and like i said this record's only 20 minutes long and you're looking at track times that are coming in a minute and 42 seconds two minutes and four seconds a minute and 52 seconds these songs are quick they they show up they punch you in the face and they walk out of the room like nothing happened so that if that's something you're looking for if you're looking for a quick fast, brutal experience, I think this is where you're going to find your niche. And this is a record for you. I like this record a lot. It was a very smooth listen for me. I was constantly impressed by all the crazy things that they're doing instrumentally, the guitar effects, the drums, the vocals, and just these like melodramatic um, lyrics, you know, not, not as an insult, just these very powerful, emotive lyrics and how they're being executed. I was really impressed with this record. It was one of the first records of the year that I was excited to listen to, and it definitely delivered for me. I gave this record initially a 9 out of 10, so that just kind of goes to show how much I enjoyed this record. You know, a, for a band that wasn't really on my radar as, you know, recently as like a month ago, to have, you know, a 9 out of 10 as one of my favorite records of the year, you know, in... in this relatively new year, and I, I think it'll be a record that I still enjoy at the end of the year. So if you're looking for this very violent, in-your-face type of metalcore, type of uh, screamo-inspired stuff, 
Definitely check out the new Risk Meat Razor album. If you're intrigued by anything that I said, definitely check the record out. Check out the, the new Fever record if you have some time. That record's about 40 minutes long. You know, if you've got some time to kill, one of the best ways to fill it is by listening to new music. So coming up, I want to do reviews of the new The Drowned God record, I'll Always Be the Same. And then I'm going to end the show because I know I'm going to make... I know I'm going to make some enemies here. Um, I'm going to end the show with some Bring Me the Horizon and their new record, Ammo. I will have reviews for both on this podcast coming up. So now let's get into the review of the new The Drowned God album, I'll Always Be the Same. The Drowned God is a band from Philadelphia that I... I wasn't familiar with, they just signed to Solid State Records not too long ago, and there was some buzz that when this band was being teased before they were announced, that it might have been Oh Sleeper, which was why I was so attentive to the announcement, um, but when I found out that this band was from Philly, and I listened to their record that came out last year, which was called Moonbearer, I was really impressed, and I think people are having trouble pinning down this band's genre. They kind of strike me, at least this new record strikes me as like a post-hardcore, um, melodic hardcore type of thing, but their last record, I think, had some more deaf heavy atmospheric, black metal, sludge metal, you know, heavier stuff going on on the last record. But as for my thoughts on this new record, uh, The Drowned God, this, this new LP comes in at 8 tracks, about 29 minutes. I guess it's right on that border of being an EP versus an LP. The first thing, as I mentioned, that strikes me about this record is that it's very atmospheric, very um, post-hardcore, melodic hardcore. It reminds me a lot of Being as an Ocean. That's probably the biggest um, influence that I can hear on this record. So the first thing that strikes me about this record which I get on the very first track low in the heavens is that this band is able to achieve this really beautiful instrumentation the guitars are very twinkly the bass thumps the drums can go from like very light blast beats to some very strong melodic background drumming the drumming can go from being almost a lead instrument to a background instrument the only thing that I notice and I notice this throughout the album a little bit is that that the mixing on this album is a little too subdued for my taste. Uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, on a lot of these tracks, the instruments are really the driving force. And of course, the vocals are powerful and the vocals are right there in the mix. But a lot of what I want to hear about these bands that kind of play within this style, you know, the being as an oceans of the world, the law disputes, the touche amores. What I want to hear um, is more instrumentation, better, better use of instrumentation in conjunction with the vocals, because a lot of these bands are doing similar things vocally and lyrically, and I want to hear some variance in the instrumentation, and that exists on this record. It's just a little too low in the mix at points where it feels like the vocals are kind of standing above the instruments as opposed to standing next to them. And that's kind of a shame because, um, you know, I know with these younger bands that are trying to kind of find their niche, dig out their, dig out their sound, um, it can be a little risky because you want to, you know, not take too many risks that people think you're just going head first and, and kind of losing sight of the big picture. But 
uh, this band has a lot to a lot to achieve instrumentally, and I think giving this record a listen, it's it's abundantly clear that they have this vision in mind instrumentally and vocally and atmospherically that stands out above a lot of the run of the mill bands in the genre. The lyrics and the vocals, as I said, are delivered very passionately and it it rounds the track out. It just feels like sometimes um, the band is working within some cliches of this genre, um, kind of being a little too tied down to their influences. What what's abundantly clear is that they they are very forward thinking. They can use those influences to drive them forward, but sometimes it just feels like there's a little bit too much of them wearing their influence on their sleeve. That doesn't happen very often, uh, so I'm not gonna you know ding them too much for it. But that's just one thing that I noticed throughout listening to the record. What really grabs me here, and what my biggest my, my favorite thing about this entire record is that this band can really, really work with that atmosphere. They have a couple tracks that have these like strings that are very um, soft and, and almost like um, almost like Deaf Heaven inspired. And some of the guitar passages are a little Deaf Heaven inspired where they're twinkling and just kind of swirling. And it's very calm and very enveloping that you're, you're listening to it. And th that's part of the reason why I, I made that note about the mix, because I wish the mix was a little more enveloping so that, you know, I didn't have to focus in on the vocals or focus in on the instrumentation because that you know when that doesn't happen and when the mix is fully enveloping it works so well the bass will sit right with you the drums will sit right with you the guitars and the vocals it's all there it's very warm and it washes over you and it's very easy to just kind of let this album flow along and yet you know that that's so rare to hear from bands in the style because they're either too busy focusing on their lyrics or they're too busy focusing on trying to stand out or trying to sound like other bands. This band doesn't do that too often. So that really impressed me. I was particularly impressed with a couple of the singles that showed up on this album, Catholic and Less Than an Exit, were a couple singles. They were really strong, you know. The instrumentation on those two tracks can get to be pretty heavy by this standard. You know, there's some crunching guitars, there's some pounding drums, the bass is very thick and it buzzes in your ears. That's one of the cool things about this record is that I'm always constantly, you know, listening to the instruments and hearing something cool, hearing something different. And that's um, really, you know, unique for a band of this style because usually I'm listening to this for this style for vocals and for lyrics and to feel something emotionally and connect with the album lyrically and vocally. And I do that, but the instrumentals are really what keeps me coming back to this record. Uh, the one song in the middle of the album, Body Knot, I think is probably the greatest example of where this record both kind of gets it and kind of misses its mark. It's more of like, initially at least, it sounds kind of like an alternative rock song. Like it kind of feels like an older Gaslight Anthem song before it becomes kind of this post-hardcore kind of screamo inspired song. I had a little bit 
of a problem with the pacing on the song if you were them you'd do it um that song kind of reminded me of a track that would be on the first two being as an ocean records just vocally and instrumentally and lyrically the pacing is a little weird it starts off pretty slow and then um, there's a part at the beginning and then another part at the end of the song where it's slow and then for a couple seconds it speeds up and then it slows back down and it just feels like that wasn't too necessary and it kind of detracted from the overall point of the song and I think that kind of shows up on a couple passages on the tracks here where it feels like the band was just trying to throw in as many influences and as many you know, ideas as possible. And the songs aren't entirely focused. They're not entirely, you know, structured the the way that I would want to hear. And, you know, of course, you know, you have to switch it up. You have to kind of keep the listener's attention. And I will admit that these stranger parts, I did remember a little better than some of the more generic post-hardcore parts on this album. Um, the track... Sorrow Came Without the Wind was probably my favorite overall song on the album, just because I think, as I mentioned earlier, with those atmospheric strings and the melodies and the, the bass that kind of thumps there, right, right there in the mix, right there in your ears, very strong song instrumentally, lyrically, vocally. I was very impressed by that song. Um, the second to last song on the album, Confuser, was a song that I thought just kind of, you know, was there. I didn't really think of it as a filler track so much as like just a song that I'd kind of... I kind of, you know, I, I heard, I, I got the point of it um, because it was working within that framework of the other songs on the album. It didn't really stand above. It was just kind of a very um, middle of the road song by this album's standards. And then the closing track to this album, which if Sorrow Came Without the Wind is not my favorite track, this one is. The closer, You Were Right the First Time, it is powerful. It is anthemic. It is dark. It is heavy. I love it. It's a great closing track for this album. Um, it just ends very abruptly, which I thought was so fitting to just kind of close this album out. It, it you know, it doesn't, there's no sense of relief. It just ends. It's very abrupt and it, it kind of summarizes the whole album. It's this very painful listen in terms of like the emotion and the the gut-wrenching nature of the instruments and the vocals and the lyrics i thought that the the closing track was beautifully done very great track i was so impressed by this band on their second release their first release on solid state records that they were able to achieve so much in such a short runtime of 30 minutes um with eight tracks. I was really impressed by this band. Again, they reminded me a lot of like Touche Amore and Being as an Ocean. These tracks are very busy instrumentally and the mix kind of fails to keep up with it at some points. And, you know, it just feels very compressed at times. And it's not, you know, an entire record problem. It's just a couple moments here and there. The mix feels a little compressed. It feels like the band is doing more than the mix can handle, if that makes sense. But the execution of these songs is amazing. I love what this band was able to do in their short runtime, as I said. Um, yeah, you know, they do wear their influence on their sleeve a little bit. Sometimes it feels like they're trying to work within the framework of the genre or the style that they're playing within. But by and large, this album is a huge success for me. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I can definitely see myself coming back to this album later in the year and having it in my you know top 
15 top 20 favorite records of the year. Very impressive release from the band The Drowned God. My favorite tracks were Low in the Heavens, Catholic, Less Than an Exit, Sorrow Came Without the Wind, and You Were Right the First Time, and I'm giving this record an 8.5 out of 10. I was very impressed by this record. So to close out the show, I know this is the one that, out of all the reviews I did, that you're probably most anxious to hear about, so I'm just gonna jump headfirst right in. Here are my thoughts on the new Bring Me the Horizon album, Ammo. Uh, I just got through listening to the album and taking down my notes and sitting with my thoughts for a little bit and processing it and thinking about how I would approach this review. Um, I'm trying to do this in the most... um, the most concise way possible. I feel like I could talk for an hour just about this album by itself, but I just have one overarching note to kind of sum up the entire album and how I feel about it and um, kind of get across the message that I want to get across for this album. So here's my big um, overarching thought on the record, and that is... That's how I felt the entire time, for the most part, listening to this record was just one very deep, very prolonged, very pained sigh of just unbelievable boredom. This record is so not good, so very bad, so god freaking dang uninspired, trying not to cuss too much, but oh my god, this record is so uninspired and boring. I mean, just from the very first track, I apologize if you feel something, oh my god, it th- this track is like two minutes long, and it just doesn't achieve anything. I sat there listening, waiting for a big message. It's an intro track. It's a two and a half minute intro track with these EDM inspired blips and these vocalizations and these strings. It doesn't set the tone. It just, it's just there. It's just starting the record off with nothing in particular. And then it goes into the record's first single, Mantra, which I hated as a single, thought it was so boring and so uninspired and so just very generic radio pop rock garbage. The one thing that I will say about this track that I'll say a couple other times on this record is that the guitars in particular on this track at least kept my attention. The guitars, the very fuzzy, over-distorted guitars, weren't the worst choice artistically. Everything else here, though, is boring, not worth coming back to. I felt the same way listening to Mantra the first time as I did this past time that I reviewed the album. It just It's a boring track. It's a waste of time. I didn't like it. It was very shoddy from a structural standpoint, from a musicianship standpoint. And I guess I should put this kind of preface note here because I didn't say it before, but I've never been a huge Bring Me the Horizon fan, okay? Like, Count Your Blessings and Suicide Season were records that I listened to when I was a kid, and I kind of listened to There as a Hell, 
Um, but I wasn't a huge fan of those records. I liked them. I didn't love them. Sempaternal, I think, was the first record where I kind of started to realize that I wasn't really a Bring Me the Horizon fan. I liked a couple of the songs on Sempaternal, but I saw a bunch of other people just falling head over heels in love with that album. And I didn't feel the same way. I respected the musicianship. I respected the lyrics. I respected what the band was going for, but it just wasn't for me. Um, and then That's the Spirit came out, and ironically enough, I pretty much I, I would say I enjoyed that record I mean I liked it enough that I've listened to it a couple times since it came out and it's not the worst thing I've ever listened to the songs are largely well executed um, they achieve something they feel fresh they feel like there's passion in them um, for the most part there's a couple songs that are a little boring and a little uninspired and you know growing pains when you're switching from being a metalcore band to being a pop rock band but all of that flies out the window on this lp this lp does not really retain any of that inspiration any of that drive this record just feels cobbled together it feels very phoned in like it's trying to hit that niche that radio audience and cast as wide a net as possible at the total sacrifice of anything genuine of anything worth writing home about and mantra was the big first clue that this record was going to be totally lackluster and then um moving on from mantra is the song nihilist blues which came out as a single just prior to the release of the album it features grimes which i was really interested in because I love Grimes. I love her music. I'm a big fan of her music. So I thought it was really cool, actually, that Bring Me was able to land her as a feature. And yet this track is five and a half minutes long. And the first half of the track does nothing. It literally does nothing. There's some vocalizations from Grimes, but she doesn't actually have a feature until about halfway into the track. And there's this little... Um, rave section that comes in and then there's like this drum and bass section with grimes whispering and that part that part was actually kind of cool like I, I enjoyed that part i it made my head bob and grimes whispering above it i was like okay this is about to take a turn and it's about to be a fairly interesting edm track and all i could think when grimes actual feature came in was this could have been left off the record um it could have been her, it could have been anyone else. She doesn't really bring anything to the track that does anything bigger than what Oliver, or I guess Ollie, I'll call him, could have done by himself. And I'm not a huge fan of Ollie's vocals, and I'm not a huge fan of the execution of his vocals, particularly in this style. So all I could think about when listening to this track was that even... At its bright spot, this drum and bass section before Grimes' actual feature, the rest of it was just so boring that it didn't really make up for the it, like it didn't even out the 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 risk wasn't worth the reward in that sense. Um, so that's how I felt about Nihilist Blues, and then it goes into this track in the dark, which I have to say just right up front is probably the worst song this band has ever done one of the worst songs i've heard recently and you know i'm trying to pack all my notes in for this 13 track 52 minute album without saying the same things over and over and over and i'm talking a little fast but i i want to like stop here and get my point across this song is 
terrible. It's predictable. It's this like soft rock track with just totally uninspired instrumentation. Ollie sounds so bored singing it. It's just I was listening to it and I can't I can't even say anything more. It's flat out. If I can communicate just one thing, this track it's like it's almost like watching a car crash. It's just you can't look away because it's you know you you obviously are interested enough in listening to the album from a curiosity standpoint and this song just like it's a disaster. It's it's so uninspired and just so freaking terrible that's a common theme on this record that it's just like nothing worth talking about on a few of these songs they're just bad they're like you can't you can't even draw it out any more than that they're just bad tracks um Moving on from there, the song Wonderful Life, which was the second single. I actually, you know, I don't mind this one. Um, compared to the other tracks, I don't think it's as bad. I still think, you know, compared to any other, you know, pop rock or EDM or rock artist that I've come to, you know, like, I'd rather listen to their stuff than this track. But I will say that this track is a little bit more energetic. It's a little bit more instrumentally interesting. And yet Ollie's vocals just kill this track for me. It's just so, um, it's so hard to listen to the, the, even the bright spots on this album when Ollie's singing over them. The lyrics are cringeworthy. They're predictable. They're very like, like the worst type of person you know would relate to these lyrics. It just, I mean, and they get this this feature from from Danny Filth from Cradle of Filth, which again was cool. It was cool to see this really interesting out of left field feature, but it feels like a take it or leave it type of feature. You know, it could have been left off the record. It could have been sung by Ollie. It doesn't make a difference. The track, by and large, is just very run of the mill, very mediocre, very lackluster, and yet it's still managed managed to be one of the best songs on the record just by virtue of not making me want to you know turn it off right away very middle of the road type of track it, it feels like a song that i would have liked less on that's the spirit their last record but in, in the context of this record not not the worst thing that i've heard um the next track ouch is just kind of a just kind of an interlude filler track. There's a lyric on here that says this is going to end in tears. Yeah, that's that's how I'm feeling pretty much this this length into the album. This is six tracks into the album and I haven't really taken away anything of value. I just feel so bored and I'm over it by this point. You know, you've already lost my attention six tracks into this record. And I will say, you know, I was going into this record with a heavy, heavy dose of skepticism. Like I knew I probably wasn't going to like it, but I tried to keep an open mind and yet I managed to be disappointed on almost every single track. The next track is the song Medicine, which Again, seven tracks now into this album, I feel like I've heard everything that I'm going to hear from this record. This is another very generic, boring pop rock song. Can't really say much of anything about it. It's just kind of there. It doesn't, it doesn't have any passion or drive. Didn't enjoy it. 
I, you know, I'm going through a lot of these tracks and I'm going to try to speed through these last couple tracks because a lot of my criticisms are the same thing. When I listen to a song like the next song, Sugar, Honey, and Iced Tea, the pacing is weird, but it's, it's energetic, but yet it's trying to be like an EDM pop rock song. I will say if there's anything to take away from this album positive, you know, as positive as you can make it. There are some moments here where the instrumentation is genuinely interesting, either the drum and bass sections or some of the EDM and string and atmospheric sections or the fuzzy, overdriven guitars. The instruments can have their moments of being actually worth listening to and actually worth um, absorbing you know, meaning from. It's just the vocals totally, totally destroy most of these songs. The pacing is weird. The structure is weird. Um, a song like Sugar, Honey, and Ice Tea, I probably would have liked more if it was just instrumental because, you know, while I don't think it's a terrible song in the context of the record, it is still totally below what I would listen to or what I would expect to hear from a band that clearly cares more about their craft that's writing in this style. Uh, the next track, Why You Gotta Kick Me When I'm Down, just awful, like this really bad attempt at a trap song that has this children's choir that doesn't belong in there at all. The risks that this band is taking on a lot of these songs just totally fall flat. The EDM parts that they're interspersing into a lot of these tracks do nothing for the structure, do nothing for the progression, do nothing to make these songs feel fuller or like they're more impassioned. Um, there's this three-minute interlude track, Fresh Bruises, which is one of my favorite songs on the album solely by virtue of not having any vocals. It's a three-minute interlude, and I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool drum and bass section, type of song. It's one of those songs that, you know, stands out to me because I I was actually interested in listening to it, but it's an interlude. You know, if, if my most positive things to say about this record are about the interludes, that should kind of give you a glimpse into what this record is doing and, and where it's falling flat. Um, the last three songs, uh, the, the second to last and third to last songs, Mother Tongue and Heavy Metal, again, you know, a lot of, a lot of just very bland, uninspired, totally, you know, full of itself type of pop rock. Mother Tongue, you know, it's kind of got this ballad-esque feeling to it. It feels like it could have been done by any other um, pop artist that you hear on the radio. I even thought that the chorus kind of sounded vaguely like it would have been a Phil Collins track on the Tarzan soundtrack. You know, it's got that ballad-esque kind of, you know, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. it. Just sounds like one of those songs where it's like, you know, speaking ambiguously and nebulously about a person or about, oh, I want to, you know, talk to you and I want to hear your mother tongue, whatever. Just very nebulously saying nothing at all in this very ballady pop type of nonsense. Um, the track Heavy Metal, which is the second to last song on the album, is the band fully critiquing the 
their older fans that kind of comment on their social media posts and say, oh, you guys aren't a metal band anymore. You guys aren't heavy anymore. And I think that, first of all, I will say that I think a lot of Bring Me the Horizon fans deserve the ire that they get um, because the band does have a right to switch up their sound and does have a right to, you know, make different music. But I will say their criticisms are justified because these songs aren't at the same level as their old stuff. You know, it's one thing to make pop music and to hate all pop music. Those people are very closed-minded. But it's different if you're making pop music and people are like, hey, you're not writing with the same passion or with the same quality or as grippingly as you used to. That's a valid criticism. That's a completely valid criticism that you could apply to just about every single song on this LP. And for the band to just kind of make this statement where they're calling out these kids that miss their old stuff, you know, half of that criticism is justified and half of that criticism isn't. But it's very cringeworthy. It's, it comes off as very snide and ungrateful and yeah you know when you switch up your sound you're gonna have growing pains but you can't just toss away all your old fans that kind of got you to this point where you could be successful enough to make a pop record that's terrible by the way and still have the name recognition to go off of a lot of those kids are gonna buy this record and support this record and they're gonna hate it and for good reason because it's not a great record it's not written with the same passion and drive um, and I just think for them to dedicate this entire song to just calling out those people and acting like they don't have a valid criticism is just kind of in poor taste. Um, I will actually, before I give my overall thoughts on this record, about the final track on this album, I don't know what to say. It, this is a This is actually a genuinely good song. I mean you know, compared to the rest of the songs, I was actually really impressed with this one. It's not a great song in the grander scheme of things as like a pop rock song, but, you know, I actually didn't hate this one as much as the other ones. Um, it, it's a fitting closer. It's a nearly six minute song. Yeah, it runs a little long. There's a guitar solo at the end and some outro strings that I think could have been shortened or cut completely. But by and large, this track actually has some passion and drive and it manages to kind of keep my attention and, and do something fresh and different that I didn't get bored of by the fourth or fifth song on this album. So um, while I have those nice things to say about that final track and about uh, like two other tracks in the track listing, <sighs> my overall thoughts on this record were a lot of eye rolls, a lot of dozing off and like not caring about a lot of these tracks, very lame, very corny, uninspired, just, you know, there are valid criticisms to be had for this record. I wasn't a Bring Me the Horizon fan prior to this record. I wasn't a diehard. I'm not mad at them because they're not a metal band anymore. I'm not pissed because they're not writing corny breakdowns and, you know, putting blood and guts on their album cover anymore. I don't care about that. What I care about is that the music that they're currently making is uninspired, 
It's boring. It is clearly appealing to the lowest common denominator. They're trying desperately to get on the radio. They're trying desperately to reinvent themselves as a pop band only. And then they go out on tour and they play these medleys of their old songs where Ollie's still screaming. So while I respect that because they're trying to you know, appeal to their older fans. You can't do that and then have a song on this record criticizing your older fans for not being on board with your new stuff. They're clearly trying to draw a line in the sand that isn't going to last very long, that isn't going to net them very much success. I think, honestly, their best path forward is just to totally renounce that old music that they made because clearly they're not interested in making it anymore and that's fine but don't try to pretend like it still exists and straddle the line and pretend to care you know in the end you're just going to end up hurting those people that loved your older music more than just by saying listen you know we're done with that we're not going to make that kind of music anymore get over it um Definitely still going through some growing pains. They have a lot to learn about writing the style of music that they're writing. They have a lot to uh, absorb from other artists. I think they ought to spend more time around artists that make this kind of music and just absorb and just not try to pretend like you know how to write this kind of music. Because this record, case in point, the, the track at the beginning of the record, In the Dark, is just flat out one of the worst songs that I've heard recently. Um, I, I don't know how to how to say anything more about this record without saying the same things over and over because that's what it feels like. You know, you're listening to a lot of these songs. The criticisms are the same. There's not much more to say. I gave this record a 3 out of 10, a very light 3 out of 10. I think if it wasn't for that closing track, I don't know what to say. We'd be talking about a significantly lower score. Um, that's how I feel about the new Bring Me the Horizon album. Again, just my thoughts, just my opinion. You know, I'm not going to grind into anyone for having a different opinion. But that wraps up this first ever podcast this mosh talk podcast uh, i hope you enjoyed it i will try to collect more news next week and have another podcast out either next saturday or sunday um, i don't know if there's going to be a regular schedule in the beginning because i've got to work some kinks out and make sure that i can get this all taken care of but thank you for listening we are approaching the hour and a half mark so that's where about where i wanted to be in terms of runtime. um I will have some YouTube stuff available shortly. I may have a blog up shortly. Um, I don't know about social media for the podcast just yet. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at MoshXLife. I used to be at MoshLife, but Twitter shut me down because of a stupid bug in their age system. It's a long story. Maybe we'll talk about it on a different podcast. Instagram, at MoshXLife. And I'm always on the Reddit, our metalcore and post-hardcore and hip-hop heads and our baseball subs. So if you see me around, I'm you, Mosh Life. Uh, my name is Carl in the government's eyes. I don't know how to wrap this thing up. But cool. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I'll be back next week. This has been the maiden voyage of the Mosh Talk podcast. Thank you for listening. See you next week. 